Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. So I don't know if you guys think about it, but, uh, you know, there are believers everywhere. And, you know, they may d- believe differently about the gifts of the Spirit. They may believe differently about eschatology, last days, you know. Uh, they might have different views on predestination versus free will. But they have, we all, if they're true believers in Jesus Christ, we all have one thing in common, and that's the cross of Christ and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so, you know, today we are, you know, celebrating. Of course, there's time zone differences, but around the globe, Believers are gathered this weekend to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And uh, not only that, but there's been Christians that have been doing that for over 2,000 years, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I mean, if you just try to wrap your your mind around that, you know, that's just, it boggles the mind. Uh, You know, for you and I, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, of course, that's the the cornerstone of our faith, right? That's uh, basically, as Paul says, without the resurrection, our faith would be fruitless. Our our faith would be in vain. There'd be no purpose uh, in that. Uh, But we know that Jesus did die on the cross for our sins. We know that three days later he arose from the dead. We also know there were hundreds of witnesses that that witnessed to that event. Uh, We also know that because Jesus was resurrected, that uh, one day we're going to be resurrected as well. Um, And so, you know, we we think of those things. And, you know, I think for, for many of us, we look at the past, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that's what we're celebrating this morning, and we look into the future thinking, well, you know, one day we are gonna, I'm going to be resurrected, you're going to be resurrected to spend eternity with Jesus Christ. And so sometimes we have that view, the, the past of the resurrection and the future resurrection, but you know what? The resurrection is a reality for you and I today. There has, it has an impact, there's a meaning, there's a purpose for it today. The Apostle Paul wrote this in Philippians 3, verse 8. He says, Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul was on to something there when he says, I, I, I want to know Christ and I want to know the power of his resurrection because the reason, you know, we have power today because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection has an impact. There's a reason and it has a, a, there's a purpose for it even in our lives today, not just in the future when we go to spend eternity with Christ. In 2 Corinthians, Paul wrote this in 5.17. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You know, for believers, sometimes we just have this belief, this faith in the doctrine of the resurrection. And uh, I'm here this morning to kind of draw our attention to there's five realities of the resurrection that affect you and I today, right here and now. Because of the resurrection, it has an impact on us. So the very first one is the fact that we are not condemned. 
And that may just seem, okay, we're not condemned. This is a major, major thing for you and I today. David, in Psalm 32, verse 1, said, uh, he said, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. If you know David, David was a man who tried to hide his sin. He committed adultery. He arranged for a murder of someone. And he tried to hide those things. And he writes in another psalm, As I was hiding my sin, I was just groaning inside. My bones were wasting away until I confessed my sin. And David, he knew what shame and guilt was. He experienced that. He understood also what it felt to have that great burden of shame and guilt lifted. And that's why he says, man, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Finally, for David, coming clean felt so good and refreshing for him. Galatians 3.13, Paul wrote this. He says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That's the reason why you and I are not condemned this morning, because Jesus Christ took our guilt and our sin upon Him on the cross. In 1 Corinthians 15, and I alluded to it earlier, in verse 17, Paul says, And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, and you're still in your sins. But we know that Jesus Christ did rise from the dead, and so you and I who have fled to Jesus Christ as our refuge, we are no longer in our sins. We've been redeemed. We've been set free. We've been forgiven from that. John 3.17. I'm going to be throwing a lot of scripture at you this morning. John 3.17 says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He who believes in Him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Paul also wrote in Romans 5.1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because you and I are no longer condemned this morning because of the resurrection, we have peace with God who is holy. Peter, in his first epistle in chapter 3, he's writing about baptism, and he says that it's an answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you've ever been a lawbreaker, if you've ever had something to hide, you know what it feels like to have a guilty conscience. And you also know if you've been forgiven of it, if you've confessed it or if it's come clean, you know what that feels like to have a clean conscience, to stand before somebody and say, you know, there's nothing there. I'm innocent of this. To have that feeling. Well, that's what you and I experience because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, having a good conscience. And we can enjoy that because of Jesus Christ. Romans 8.1, Paul says this, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. 
I remember as a teenager, and I was into drugs and stuff, and I remember, you know, being stoned and driving my car, which was not a safe thing. I don't recommend that at all. But I remember, you know, as soon as you see a cop in the rearview mirror, it's like, oh, you know, you're panicking, right? It's like, oh, man, I, you know, you got to look around, make sure there's nothing laying out, and I hope, you know, I'm going to drive the speed limit, I don't want to get pulled over. And you, there's just that feeling, that sense of, oh, I don't want to get caught, I don't want to get caught. But now... You know, I could drive down the road. I see a cop. Well, I still, I, 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 it must be in me now. I just, I'm paranoid every time I see a cop. So, you know, I, I still have that feeling. But I have a clean conscience. It's like, yeah, they pull me over. Big deal. I haven't done anything wrong. There's nothing. And I, one time I did get pulled over uh, going to Hy-Vee at night. And I, the cop was coming the other direction. And I was going towards Hy-Vee on that West River Parkway. And all of a sudden, the guy spins around. I'm like, oh, what did I do now? that old panic sets in, you know, it's like, <gasps> quick, hide! <laughs> there's no beer in the car or anything like that, you know, and he goes, hey, I just want to tell you your taillight's out, <laughs> or no, it was my headlight, because he was coming the other direction, I'm like, thank you, but to understand what it feels like to have a clean conscience, and that is one of the blessings of the resurrection this morning for each one of us, and that brings me to the next reality of the resurrection, and that is this. Sin no longer has power over us. Sin doesn't have a grip on us like it once had before. Before you and I were in Christ, the Bible tells us that we were born as slaves to sin. Romans 6.5 says this, For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. What a blessing to not be a slave of sin. Later on in Romans 6.17 he says, But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart, that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Before you and I, you know, we, we, we could try to be externally right. We could be, be ex- try to be externally good. But we could never obey from the heart because we were slaves of sin. But now that we've been set free, man, we, can, we, can ex- we can obey externally, but we can also obey internally, you know, we, in our thoughts and our motives and our intentions. F.B. Meyer wrote this, Standing with Christ on the resurrection side of death, we must present our whole being to God for His use. We have left forever behind, nailed to the cross, the body of sin, and henceforth must see to it that every faculty shall become a weapon in God's great warfare against evil. Let your powers be monopolized by God so that there is no room left for the devil. What a blessing that is for you and I. And so Paul writes in Romans 6.12, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. 1 Corinthians 15.34, Paul wrote, Awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Ephesians 4.26, us husbands probably know this well. Uh, I, I know it well. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. In 1 John 3.9, John writes, Whoever has been born of God does not sin, For his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Now that's an interesting verse, because that verse, some people have made the mistake of thinking that this verse means that Christians, once you're saved, you never sin anymore. 
You're perfect now. Well, if you know me, you know I'm not perfect, and I know you, and you're not perfect. We're not perfect. Um, Robertson's Word Pictures is uh, one of my study tools that I use, and I think it's very helpful here. It says, based on the tense of the Greek uh, in this verse, it means the child of God does not have the habit of sin, and he cannot go on sinning. Why? Well, because of God's seed that is sown in the heart of a believer. Uh, that remains there, that remaining seed. Now, some say, well, what is that seed? Some people say that that seed is the Word of God. First uh, Peter one twenty three says, Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. So some say that seed is the Word of God, and that's what's in us that keeps us from sinning. And, of course, in Psalm 119, right, it says, Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. But others say this is referring to the life of Christ abiding in the believer. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. So is it, is it, is it the life of Christ? Is it the, the word of God? Well, whatever it is, whatever it is, or whichever it is, maybe it's both, probably is, there is a definite, tangible change in the life of a believer through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When you and I come to faith, all of a sudden there's this awareness of sin. We're aware of the wickedness in us. There's a struggle now against sin. There's maybe times when the believer is ensnared for a time in sin, but he's no longer comfortable in that sin. It's, it's, there's a struggle. There's that warfare going on. The, the flesh and the spirit fighting against each other. And he can't habitually, continually practice sin. I like to think of it this way. The believer's heart is like a compass. And you get that, you get that needle on the compass, and, and it's pointing north. You know, it's pointing towards God. But, but you, know, you can turn it, and you can make it. You can even point it all the way down south and stuff. But as soon as you let go, eventually it comes back to north. And you and I, we have that presence of Christ in us. We have the Word of God in us. And, and, and so for us, there's a change. We're no longer slaves to sin. Now, if the child of God no longer sins, there'd be no reason for so many scriptures to command us not to sin. Why would God spend so much time telling us not to sin if once you're saved, you don't sin anymore, right? However, on the same token, the fact that there are so many scriptures commanding us not to sin means that now, after the resurrection, you and I have the power, have the ability to say no to sin, which we didn't have before. We are freed from the law of sin, and now we have the ability to resist sin. And also, we're freed from death. And that brings me to the third reality of the resurrection. Death no longer has dominion over us. Romans 6, 8 says, Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. Jesus, as he was speaking to Martha before he rose, Lazarus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. You know, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, your and my death, it's simply going to be this very temporary, in fact, very brief separation of soul and body. In fact, it's so brief that Paul doesn't even regard that brief instance of separation. He just says, 
absent from the body, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He doesn't even talk about that little interim in between. That's how brief it is for the believer in Jesus Christ. One moment, you're going to close your eyes. You're going to breathe your last breath. The next moment, you're going to open your eyes and you're going to be standing before Jesus Christ in heaven. Jesus Christ defeated death. Death no longer has its sting in your and my life because of the resurrection. The Bible says it's swallowed up in life. Death has been swallowed up in life. So if Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior right here, right now, this morning, do you know that you already have eternal life? You already have eternal life right now. It's not something in the, path, in the future that you've got to wait to experience. You, you have it now. Jesus said also in Mark twelve twenty six. He's talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the Sadducees, they didn't believe in the resurrection. He says, but concerning the dead that they rise, have you not read in the book of Moses in the burning bush passage how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. Jesus never said, hey, I was the God of Abraham. I was the God of Jacob. I was the God. He says, oh, no, I am the God of Jacob. I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. Why? Because those believers that have passed on before us, they're alive right now. You know, we might say, well, they're dead. Well, no, they're not dead. They're alive in the presence of the Lord right now. And even though you and I, you know, uh, there's no minimizing the grief that we feel when we lose a loved one. I mean, it's, it's heart-wrenching to lose someone. Uh, but as the Bible says, man, we don't sorrow as those who have no hope. Why? Because we know that one day we'll be reunited with them if we have a relationship with Jesus ourselves. And so Hebrews 2, verse 14 says this, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Unbelievers are in bondage to death. Why? They're afraid of death. They want to avoid death. You don't, they, they don't, they're not comfortable speaking about death. They're in bondage to that fear. They're always trying to prevent it or avoid it in any way possible. Um, but for you and I, because death has no dominion over us, we no longer fear death the way we once did. The fourth reality of the resurrection is that you and I are kept by the power of God. 1 Peter 1.5 says that we are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In John 5.24, John wrote this, or actually, uh, Jesus said this, Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in me uh, and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment but has passed from death into life. Did you notice that there's no conditional clause? If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, you will not come into judgment. You're no longer condemned. You have passed from death into life. You're not judged anymore. John 10:28 says this, Jesus said, I, And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. And we are kept 
by the power of God. And I love this passage in Romans 8. And I think how many saints that have been persecuted down through the ages or going through difficult times have clung to this scripture. It says, what, shall we, uh, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him for up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore also is risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a comfort that is for you and I as a believer. Paul wrote this in Philippians 1.6, Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. What a comfort that is. And it's because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You and I, you know, sometimes it, it, we struggle. We strive against sin. Sometimes we're winning that battle. Sometimes we're losing that battle. But you know what? Take cheer. Don't give up. Because the Lord is not finished with you. He's not finished with me. We are all works in progress. What a comfort that is. Jude 1.24 says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. We just, uh, I think probably all of you know, because we talk about it so much, but you know, we just purchased a house. And part of that purchasing a house is, you know, you go, you look at a house and you like it and you make an offer. You, you put in a bid for the house. But with that, you can't just say, well, I want to buy that house. You've got to pay up some cash. And, bet, you know, it's been 18 years since we purchased a house. And 18 years ago, 500 bucks. That was a good earnest deposit. Now the real estate's like, no, 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 no. You need a thousand bucks. It's like, oh, okay. So we had to, you know, we had to shell out a thousand bucks now for an earnest deposit. What does an earnest deposit mean? It means, hey, I am serious about buying this house. I mean, I'm 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 laying some money down. I, I really, I'm not going to walk away from this contract. I have money invested. I have, as they say, skin in the game. You know. I'm not going to walk away, especially if you're cheap and Dutch like me. You guarantee you won't walk away because you've got skin in the game. Um, well, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God has paid an earnest deposit on you and I. That's the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, is a sign and a seal of my salvation. He's invested in you. He's not going to walk away from his covenant. He has skin in the game, so to speak. You know, his gift card doesn't expire. <laughs> you know, you, that drives you nuts, right? You get a gift card and you hang on to it and you forget about it and then you go to, you go to redeem and it's like, oh, too late. Can you imagine 
if you and I, we live our lives serving Christ, we're, we're worshiping Him, we're praying, we're, we're, we're ministering, we've just surrendered our life to Him, and we get to heaven and, and God says, hey, that was, that's an old contract, that's an old, that's an old agreement, it doesn't apply anymore. What would that be like? But see, it'll never happen because God has given us his deposit, his Holy Spirit. So we are kept by the power of God. I hope that encourages you this morning. There's times where I get discouraged in my walk and I go, why am I still struggling with the things that I struggle with? Why am I not more you know, mature at this point in my life? Well, God's still doing a work and he's going to complete that work that he began in you and I. And finally, the fifth reality of the resurrection is this. We have been begotten again to a living hope. 1 Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Because of the resurrection, we have been begotten again or born anew to a living hope. Other people say born again to a living hope. Now, departing, depending on what part of the country from, you're from, you may have heard of plants that are root-bound, or if you're in another part of the country, you've heard of plants that are root-bound, right? Depends on where you're from. My wife likes to say root-bound, and I like to say root-bound. I drink root beer, she drinks root beer. <laughs> It all depends where you're from. But if you know what a rut-bound or a root-bound plant is, it's one who's, in, you know, the plant, the, 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 the roots or the ruts, um, they are so confined in this small planter or container that it's dwelling in that, you know, it can't grow. It can't grow to its full potential. The roots have nowhere to expand. It's, it's, just, it's just confined in this small container or the small planter. The only way to solve getting that plant to grow and to blossom and to grow to its fullest potential is to take it out of that container and replant it in something much bigger because then the roots are just, they can go anywhere. There's no limit to the growth that's possible. And for you and I, before the resurrection, we were confined, we were root-bound, so to speak, in this life. We just were born, we live our life, and then we die. That's, we were confined in that. And you can only grow so much. But now because of the resurrection, we've been born again. We've been taken and we've been replanted into an eternal kingdom. And now there's no limit to how much you can grow as a Christian. You know, the only thing that limits the growth, your growth and your maturity, is you yourself. There's nothing that will limit you. There's, you know, you, now you, you've been taken out of that natural earthbound life and replanted into eternal life. What does that mean? Well, it means that now, you know, uh, you can receive all the rain, the Word of God. You know, I think of the water as the Word of God. You can receive it all. You can get all that sunlight, S-O-N, you know, you're just spending time, with the Lord, and you're growing, and you'll grow to the fullest potential that you've been created for. Um, you know, before uh, resurrection... You know, we only think about life. You, you talk to an unbeliever, they think about everything is focused on this life because that's all they know. They don't know anything beyond that. So they're going to they're gonna do everything they can to take care of numero uno, right? They're going to do everything they can to make sure they get the most out of life because you only have one life to live and then it's over. That's it, baby. So, you know, you're, that's all you got. But now you and I, because of the resurrection, now we realize, you know what? It's not just this plant. There's a whole... There's, 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 it's unending. And so now the things that I do as a believer, I can do things now that's going to impact me in eternity. 
I can start ministering in ways that it's going to earn eternal fruit. We have this awareness. We've been made aware that, man, there's, there's an eternity around us. We've been made aware that there's, there's angels around us, that there's, there's a heavenly kingdom around us. So we've been begotten again to a living hope. And now you and I have the freedom in Christ to explode with new life. 1 John 2.29 says, if you, know that he, uh, if you know that He is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of Him. You know, before the resurrection, I could only practice sin. I couldn't practice righteousness. I had no ability to. But because of the resurrection, instead of practicing sin, I now have the ability to practice righteousness. Now, practice makes perfect, right? Well, you keep practicing righteousness. You know, a righteous man may fall seven times, but he gets up again, and he starts walking again. And that's by the power of the Holy Spirit doing that sanctification in your life. We're growing. We're becoming more mature. So we're, 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 we're starting to practice righteousness, doing those things that please the Lord. We can do that now because we've been begotten anew. 1 John 5 1 says, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves him who begot, uh, who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. In other words, you know, if you love Jesus Christ who gave you this new life, you're also going to love everybody else that Jesus Christ died for and gave his life for. Now all of a sudden, it's not just me. Now all of a sudden, I've been born into this family of God, and I've got brothers and sisters for whom Christ died. And when you realize that there is somebody whom Christ died for, you treat them a little bit differently. Before, it's like, yeah, you know, careless. No, this is someone that Christ died for. He, he gave his life for this person. That person has value. I'm going to honor them. I'm going to love them. I'm going to treat them right I can submit to them. I can honor them. I can minister to them in ways that I never could before the resurrection. The resurrection changes how I interact with others. 1 John 5, 4, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. John eleven twenty five. 25, and go back to it. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The reality of the resurrection, those things that we've just talked about this morning, the new life of the believer, they're only found in Jesus Christ. It's not, it's not a, a faith in a, in a doctrine or a belief system. It's a faith in a person, Jesus, who gave his life for you and me on the cross, who died three days later, he rose again. And it's so only it's through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We, like Paul, can say, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. It's only through a relationship with him. So I wanted to encourage you with this this morning. The resurrection, it's not just a past event that Jesus rose from the dead. It's not just an event that's going to occur in our lifetime, probably sooner than we think. But it's also right now. It's a reality for you and I right now as believers. So uh, happy Easter. Jesus Christ is risen. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, Luke, you want to come on up? We're going to go ahead and have communion this morning. Normally you have communion on Good Friday, but we didn't have a Good Friday service. And what a good way to just think about what Jesus Christ did for us anyways, celebrating this morning. So Luke's going to lead us in worship, and I just invite you to come on up and, and uh, grab a, a cup and a cracker. Take it back to your seat when we've all um, 
got the elements, we'll partake together at the end of the worship. So.